Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. My wife and I uh, recently watched a documentary on HBO called 15 Minutes of Shame. It's, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's basically exploring the lives of people who tweeted something, said something they shouldn't have said, or, uh, or, yeah, or, or did something that ended up going out on social media and their lives were ruined as a result. So they followed one, the, if you remember the person... Uh, who bought 20,000 bottles of hand sanitizer and New York City, uh, the New York Times did an article on that person, right? And basically the person lost their job and just go, it ends up going through different people like that who were canceled. Now, some people call that cancel culture while others on the documentary, of course, called it consequence culture. But two things can be clear from this, right? One, these days, you have to be really careful what you like, what you tweet, what you say, because you might get canceled. There are going to be consequences for it. You might lose your job. Life may never be the same again. Another thing that's clear from this is society is merciless. Like, like the, the kind of righteousness you have to have in the public square, right? Like if you say or do the wrong thing, it may ruin your life. Society will not forget you can look that stuff up. You can look at YouTube videos you put out, Facebook posts that you put out. Like now you know employers will tend to look at those things before they hire you. Society is merciless. Unless, of course, you're a celebrity. Because then you just got to put out a public apology, stay out of the light for a little bit, right? And then get interviewed by Oprah. And then it's going to be okay, right? That's just... But unless you know Oprah, like you probably won't live it down. But what about God? What's it like to talk to Jesus after one of the greatest failures of your life? What's it like to have a conversation with him? Well, we, we, we can find out. Like the, the Bible records a story where one of Jesus' disciples has had one of the greatest failures of his life, and he has a conversation with Jesus right after that. I don't know where you are. Maybe if you could think about times in your life where you have failed, and failed in ways that are shocking to you, that you never thought you would ever walk away from convictions you've held your entire life, or you, you might see yourself as a primarily good person, you might see yourself as making mistakes, but I want you to think about a time when you did something that you knew you weren't supposed to do. 
or you you knew the right thing to do, but you chose not to do it. Well, whatever that is for you. If you're a Christian, hopefully this won't be too difficult, right? Like you could think of times in your life when you have had moral failure. Now you've asked for forgiveness, but now, now what? Well, today we'll look at two things that Jesus calls us to based on this conversation. We're concluding a series that we've been doing for about eight weeks now called Conversations with Jesus. Every week we looked at a conversation that Jesus had with someone who explored, who encountered his ministry. And we looked at a conversation on how people change and, and about suffering. And today we're, we're closing this series with a conversation about failure. And two things he calls us to in the midst of it. The first thing, there's a call to admit. A call to admit. Well, admit what? Hopefully you'll see that it's a call to admit that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves and the practical implications as a result of that. So here in this text, there's someone named Peter. He's a, someone who's followed Jesus for about three years. He's seen miracles. He's seen Jesus do all kinds of things. And he's a man who's overestimated his own strength. He overestimated his own devotion to Jesus and we see it in two texts. I don't know if it was, it's here. Uh, all right, so I'm, basically, if you go to, to two passages, Matthew 26, verse 33, and Luke 22, 31 through 34, Peter tells Jesus, I'll just say it for you. I'll paraphrase what's there. Just take my word for it. Write it down. <laughs> Fact check me if you want. Don't cancel me if I'm wrong, all right? But Matthew 26, 33, Jesus tells Peter, Look, even if everybody else falls away because of you, I won't. And in Luke 22, 31 through 34, Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed that your faith will not fail. So when you repent, encourage your brothers and sisters. And, and, and Peter essentially says, this will never happen. I will never do this. And, and Jesus tells him, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny ever knowing me. So in the first situation, he says, even if everyone else isn't loyal to you, I'm going to be loyal to you even unto death. And then when Jesus tells Peter the, how fragile his faith really is, Peter denies it and says, no, it's not ever going to happen. I know myself. I will never deny you. Jesus not only knows that Peter's, uh, Peter's going to deny him, but he even knows that Peter's going to repent after that and encourages him, when you get up, encourage one another. Encourage your brothers. Yes, you who have just denied knowing me three times. So Jesus knows that Peter would fail. He knows Peter better than he knows himself. And in this conversation, after Peter has failed, Jesus publicly asks him this question to admit it as well. And rest in the knowledge that Christ has, uh, has about him. Let's go and read again 15 through 17 so you see this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Can I, let me just stop right there. Like, first of all, the way that you frame that question. Like, if someone were to say to me, Jason, son of James and Susan, my parents, I'm like, whoa, like, do we know each other? Like, how do you know my parents? Like, to address Simon like this is to, like, locate him in a really incredible way, like, not, not addressing you for all of your charisma and all of your gifts and all of your false promises or even your mistakes, but locating him as Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. When Jesus asked, especially the first time, do you love me more than these? Most scholars agree that that the, the more than these that he's referring to are the disciples around him. It's a guy that said, I love you more than everyone else. That even if everybody else falls away, I never will. I'll never deny you. And now after Peter has actually denied Jesus three times, for those of you who are familiar with the story, Peter does exactly what Jesus predicted. He denies Jesus three times when he's asked whether or not he knows Jesus. Jesus is crucified, rises from the dead. And now Peter, when he's asked this question, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all these other disciples? He doesn't make grandiose promises, right? He's not just so self-assured anymore. He says, I love you, but Lord, you know everything, right? He rests in the knowledge that Jesus has. It's not looking at your failure and saying, no, look, I I failed you. No, I clearly don't love you. That's not what he does. And he also doesn't say, Lord Jesus, I love you more than you know, which is what he did before. But here it's saying, I really really love you, Lord. But you know, you know my heart better than anybody else. You know the depths of my heart. He admits that Jesus knows him better than he knows himself. What would that be like for you today if you think about failure in your life? To not make grand promises about your own heart. To not even completely deny that you love him, right? Because you might. Right? To not be at either one of those extremes, but to rest in the fact that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. I hope it would bring incredible comfort to you. Several years ago, I, I spoke with someone who was dealing with a tremendous amount of guilt because she had just done something. I don't, she didn't share what it was with me, but she just said she's done something that she just never thought she would ever do. And she was trying to figure out why she felt so sad because she asked God to forgive her. And she was still dealing with an incredible amount of despair and depression. Was she still haunted by what she had done? You know, most times in situations like this, when you've asked God to forgive you, you just hear people say, just forgive yourself. That was her solution. She was like, I know I just need to forgive myself. And as a pastor, I wanted to let her know, hey, like that might not be the solution. That might be actually a problem, right? To say, I know God has forgiven me, but I have to forgive myself is another way of saying, My word of forgiveness is more decisive than God's, right? Like, he could forgive me, but my word is actually more encouraging than what God would have to say. Then you've got Christians who'd come and say, just believe more. You don't believe enough. I don't think that's true either. There's some people who genuinely believe that Jesus has died for all of our sins and that we are forgiven who still struggle with guilt and are in despair. So I asked her, Why don't you identify what you're really grieving in this moment? What are you really grieving? There are times we think what we're really grieving is that we've offended God and maybe offended people in our lives. We've hurt God and we've hurt others. We think that's what we're grieving. But really what we might be grieving when we can't get over it is the death of the perception we had of ourselves. Wow, I'm I'm not as virtuous as I thought. I'm capable of saying 
and thinking and doing things that I never thought I was capable of. I was a person who'd say, even if everybody else falls away on account of you, I never will. I, look, I can look God in the eyes, right? I can look at Jesus in the eyes and say, I'll never deny you. And now you are shell-shocked by what you're capable of. And what you really grieve is not so much what you've done, but you grieve the loss of the perception you've had of yourself. You grieve what God always knew, but you struggle to admit that you're much weaker than you thought. You need much more grace than you ever imagined. You need a savior. Sometimes what haunts us is not our sin. It's not our failure. What haunts us is not our sin. It's our need for grace. I wish I didn't need so much grace. I wish I didn't need forgiveness this much. But God already knows this better than we do. And there are times when Jesus calls us to admit this. So what difference does this actually make for you on Monday morning? What difference does God's knowledge of you make when you're dealing with failure, you've asked for forgiveness, and you're trying to move on? Well, you can live with humility, right? That, again, you need grace and a Savior more than you ever thought so. But you can also, you can also take comfort in the fact that He's not surprised by you. Like when you and I fail... We're shocked, but he's not. He's like, yeah, remember I told you that was going to happen? And I told you we were going to repent. And I actually told you after that to encourage other people. He's not surprised. And why is this encouraging? Because so much of our anxiety that's in the background of our thinking is, is God going to regret? Like, if you knew what I was capable of, maybe you wouldn't love me. And maybe you wouldn't welcome me. Maybe you wouldn't accept me. Maybe you wouldn't call me into ministry or tell me to serve you. But what God's knowledge does of us is it encourages us. He knew all of those things. He knew the worst about us. And he called us anyway. This addresses that fear, knowing that God knows us so thoroughly, and yet he loves us still. The late British author and theologian J.I. Packer wrote this. He wrote, There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that His love for me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. I need to say that again, right? His love for us is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge about the worst about us, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I'm so disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. You'll meet people in life who love you, and you're like, yeah, but you don't really know me, right? So your love's not very realistic, right? That's what we see in society as I talked about people who tweet things and say things, and you've got people who like your posts and share it and love it, but as soon as you fail, what happens? You're canceled. But God's love for you is utterly realistic based on prior knowledge about the worst of you. And yet he is determined to love you and bless you and receive you. Do you find comfort in that today? 
Do you find comfort in God's exhaustive knowledge of you? Do you admit that He knows you? Your failures better than you know yourself. Know them yourselves. Ways that you don't, you're not even aware that you failed. And are you, do you also admit that He loves you? And He knows your heart better than you could ever imagine. Why is this important? Why is it important to know that He knows you so thoroughly? Because scarcely will we die for someone else. Though perhaps we may be willing to die for a good person. Maybe a loved one. But God shows us love for us in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So when did he die for you? When you were yet still a sinner. When you were at your worst. When we fail, Jesus calls us to admit. The second thing. He calls us to serve. Let's read verses 13 to 15. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised them from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Here's a side note. This is something that I just think is so fascinating. What do you do after the most climactic moment in history? Like, what do you do after the resurrection? You have breakfast. (laughs) Like, there's a way to be so super spiritual and be so ambitious for the kingdom and wanting to do things for God. And now, yes, let's start a revolution that you, you tend to overlook the the beauty and and even the sacredness of having a meal with friends. What did Jesus do? He served a meal. That's what he did. (laughs) The the next time they were together or the third time he appeared, Jesus serves them. And I think that's incredible. He, He showed power over sin and death. He's the risen king of the universe. But here he is like flipping, flipping a fish, however they would do this, without a skillet and serving it and giving bread to his disciples. He's not looking to be served even as the king. And the fact that he serves is so helpful because it's actually framing for Peter his calling. There's a call to serve. Each time Peter says, you know that I love you, Jesus calls him to now look outside of himself and look to the people around him and to serve. The people who do apology tours in society, who says, like, I made a mistake, I promise I'm going to do better. I'm going to now devote myself to learning, right? I'm going to now listen. I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to learn from others and their experience. Look, I'm not trying to minimize that. That's probably genuine and true to some extent, right? Or there's some kind of penance. I promise to do do community service, and you put that on blast for everybody to see as a way of your penance. But this is so different. This is not, I'm in debt. This is not, I feel so guilty, I'm going to now serve. It's after Jesus gets Peter to say, I love you. Serve. Because of your mercy towards me. Because how you've forgiven me, I love you. And out of that love, not out of guilt, not out of being indebted, not as a way of penance, but out of your love and gratitude for the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, Peter is called now to serve. Jesus gets Peter to turn his attention outward. We have fallen and Christ has forgiven us. He has loved us. And out of the overflow of that, 
we are told to turn outward and serve others. There are two extremes generally whenever we fail or there's moral failure in our life or we fall, right? We can be inward in two ways. One way to be inward is just to be very self-loathing and say, now I'm not qualified to serve God as if like he didn't know that when he called you to follow him. Or now I'm not qualified. You're looking inward and you're really self-absorbed and self-loathing, maybe some self-pity there to some extent. And you're not able to serve because that's your inward bent after you have failed. There's another way to be inward as well. Say, God has forgiven me. Isn't this wonderful? And you're enjoying it and you're savoring it. And it's all about your own individual identity in Christ. But it doesn't translate over into serving other people, loving them. It doesn't actually overflow to have any sort of implications upon anyone else's life. But here, Jesus does, does something different. He calls us to serve, to now turn our attention outward. We're forgiven. We're welcomed. We're loved. God doesn't just tolerate us. His arms are wide open and He welcomes us. He removes every excuse that we would have to come to God because Jesus has died for our sins. Enjoy it. But now turn your attention outward and serve. He tells Peter that three times. So how can we do that now? What are ways we can serve? I don't care if you, if you failed last night. Now, to some degree, depending on the kind of ministry you are involved in, you got to ask yourself, do I need to take some time away? Has my character caught up with whatever platform I had? Like you might need to take some time to, to work some things out, but it doesn't mean you can't serve in other ways. You could serve breakfast, right? You could do what Jesus is doing here. How can you serve this church, this neighborhood, your coworkers, your neighbors, your roommates or your family, what act of love and kindness, what word of blessing, word of affirmation, word of encouragement can you give? How can you serve them, not out of guilt, not out of indebtedness, but out of freedom, out of love for Jesus and His mercy towards you? Jesus isn't asking Peter to do something that he isn't doing himself in this passage. He's seen here serving as the king and if he, as a righteous one, can do that, how much more can we do that as those who have received his mercy? I love that at the very end here, the last thing you see is Jesus telling him to follow me. And it's actually the first thing that Jesus said to Peter when they met, right? Jesus told him, follow me. And he did for three years and incredible experiences. But here at the end, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he looks at Peter and he tells him again, Follow me. And it just shows you that some of you who failed, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. Whether you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian or you've been a Christian for some time, the calling is the same. It's to follow Him, even into death, whether in life or death, as we see in this passage. So when you ask yourself, I failed, now what? It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you can still follow you can grow in the ways and likeness of Jesus. And today, that might mean two simple things to follow him. It's to admit that he knows you better than you know yourself. And you can rest there. And it might mean that you look outside of yourself and you serve because of his love for you. Let's pray.
I hope you know that we're called New Hope Church for a reason. We're a church that wants to share hope. The hope of Jesus, the hope of community, and the hope of new life. And if you're here and you're in despair today, I just want you to know that there is hope. This is what it's like to talk to Jesus after you've had one of the worst failures of your life. And as we pray right now, I hope he will fill your heart with hope. Father, I thank you that we don't need to go on an apology tour. I thank you, Lord, that we don't need to make promises, empty promises that we can't even guarantee in the future about our own hearts. We can simply look at you and say, Lord, you know, you know, you know our hearts better than we know ourselves. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, myself included, that you would help us rest in your knowledge, your perfect knowledge of us. And that you, you still love us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would begin to show us right now, bring people and things and opportunities into our mind right now where we don't have to remain in grief and remain in despair. We don't have to just wallow in self-loathing and self-pity, but bring people into our mind and opportunities right now to show us how we can begin to look outward and serve and love others out of the love that you have for us and your great mercy towards us in Jesus Christ.